motherfucker. Are you a pathetic and worthless Welcome to the Party Pal, the mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. I am one of your hosts, Michael Shields, here today with a film historian and part of the Welcome to the Party Pal team, Christian Needing. Christian, how are you doing today? Doing well, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, before we get going, just a quick reminder that we are a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com and check out the vast array of uh, and growing uh, podcasts they have over there. Really good stuff. Uh, OsirisPod.com. Um, today, we are here to talk about the, the most dangerous game. And while this episode will focus on and, and culminate with a breakdown of the recently released Quibi series, um, Most Dangerous Game, starring Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz, um, we uh, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the most dangerous game. It's um, it all began uh with a short story by Richard uh, Connell entitled "The Most Dangerous Game." It's uh, the story features a big game hunter from New York City who falls off a yacht and uh, swims to what he believes is uh, you know, empty and uh, isolated island in the Caribbean, where he ends up getting hunted by a Russian aristocrat. So, Christian, I believe I have not um. I have not read the short story, but you have read the short story. Is it, it's pretty enticing. I mean, it spawns so many uh, adaptations and, and a whole, um, you know, as we'll get into, a whole series of, of revitalizations. So pretty interesting stuff. Very much, yeah. I, and it's, it's the, interesting to note that the first time I read it was actually in my high school English textbook. It was uh, the majority mm-hmm. of the story was published um, as one of the chapters. So they'd have different short stories. Oh, wow. So, uh, you, despite the the subject matter uh, being, uh, you know, philosophically pretty extreme, it was it was considered appropriate for teenagers um, by the yeah. by the time I got around to it. Yeah, it was originally published in Collier's uh, back in the twenties, and it's definitely um, a story that that is in the shadow of, of the First World War and the mm-hmm. kind of shattering of the romanticism of. Um, the Victorian era big game hunter. Um, and in this case, uh, it, it delves into a little bit of just who those big game hunters are. Um, and specifically, uh, this guy Rainsford, um, who was, uh, who falls over, um, falls over the side of the ship to this, this isolated Island meets, um, kind of like his dark mirror image. Who is a, uh, former Russian, Russian nobleman who was uh, kind mm-hmm. of now an expatriate in the wake of the Russian Revolution. Specifically, he's a, um, a, a Cossack who, in, in the kind of the narrative of the czarist era, were um, mm-hmm. kind of the, seen as the henchmen of, uh, of the czar's uh, people, who, uh, of the czar's regime that uh, terrorized on, the, on their horsebacks the... Um, the common people um, that's become like their their legendary image um, and certainly um, in Connell's um, uh, rendition that's he plays that up as well 
Um, so mm-hmm. that's this uh, this guy who's made it out of the Russian Revolution, um, invested ironically in, in American in American securities, so that he doesn't, as he notes to in the short story, he, do, he doesn't have to um, operate a casino or drive a cab. Uh, he can <laughs> he can just go on doing his own own stuff, and it really kind of paints the uh, the picture of a of a psychopath. The guy who was basically yeah. given a gun by his father and started killing small birds and then turkeys and a bear and in the Caucasus and, yeah. and works his way up and more and more. And, you know, even though this is written in the 20s, it has kind of a serial killer blueprint to it. You know, how, how yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that goes on. Um, but, yeah, so Sanger Rainsford uh, is, is uh, greeted by Saroff and his deaf-mute servant, Ivan both of them Cossacks, and um, for the short story itself, most of it's the build-up to the actual hunt. Um, it's yeah. the idea of this, of where you, he keeps withholding what um, Zarov kind of keeps withholding from Rainsford, what this new animal that he has stocked his island with, which he has finally gotten day-to-day satisfaction with, because up until now, he said that he's hunted everything he can hunt, and he's got gotten bored, and for someone like him who's defined their life by hunting, that's mm-hmm. that's that's just an apocalyptic notion. So he's kind <laughs> of he's and he keeps withholding what this new game is until he finally ultimately reveals it's um, hunting men, yes. and that not only yep. and hunting men, it's but in the in the short story compared to the film, uh, the first film adaptation that we'll talk, he actually shows off his stock of captured sailors that he has in his basement and the very night that Rainsford arrives he um, uh, hunts one of them something also that's that's gonna that we'll return to in the movies when we when we talk about them that's absolutely played that that is absolutely mentioned in the short story is um, Zaroff's looking down on who he refers to as mongrel races basically the when he um, when he breaks down for um Rains for the types of people who end up on his island. Um, he basically says they're people that no one else would care about. And he says, you know, mm. sailors from, from junk ships, blacks, Chinese, and whites of the mongrel races, i.e. Southern, at that time, was considered Italians, uh, Spaniards. Mm-hmm. Um, something that stereotypical, um, you know, uh, royalist, racist uh, people would look down on in, in the... Uh, in the um, class, the class um, distinctions of that time and yeah. subsequent to that, so it's ve- it's laid on the table, um, very very much yeah. so in in the in the source material. So it's not like the subsequent filmmakers were taking it a step further. Um, it's this no. it's, it's very obvious that Zarov is a psychopath who uh, and a racist who um, yep. looks at humans as as animals. And the only reason he briefly tolerates human, yeah. the only reason he briefly tolerates Rainsford is because he sees him as a fellow hunter who may want to join in yep. with them and may have the same uh, worldview that worldview and this is the last point that I'll say on this I said at the beginning this is sure. in the, the wake of the first world war there's a, a passage in the short story where he's surprised that Rainsford as a veteran as a soldier who served doesn't have the same low new uh, low view of, of humanity in the wake of, yeah. of the slaughter that he has. Um, he on the Russian side, on, on the Tsarist side, served in the cavalry, and it's hinted at, at you know just what that would imply. The you know 
if if before the war what he was doing was as as grotesque as it is, God knows what he was doing during the war that would give him <laughs> yeah. even more more so. And I think that that's disturbing to think totally. about. Totally. And that, that that definitely is something that can't be overlooked is the timing in in the early twenties of when this was, this was written. Mm-hmm. This again, this is the lost generation literary era of of Hemingway yeah. and others who, who went to Europe and were still dealing with the um, cultural calamity and and of of what had just transpired, um, this uh, Connell's uh, view on it is actually a really really interesting one of people that before the war were hunters and and it should be noted that that Zaroff detests the word um, murder or uh, it's he mm. does not he he very specifically does not want to use that word it's hunting. So uh, so it seems like um, as we move into the first adaptation, uh, which was the 1932 RKO picture, uh, The Most Dangerous Game, which starred um, Joel McCree and Leslie Banks. If anyone wants to check that out, that is on Prime uh, right now. And it was really, really fun to revisit. But it sounds like from what all you're saying, I'll, you know, so much of what was on the page, you know, there was changes, of course, but, um, you know, really came out in this film and some of the themes that you were discussing about the viewpoints of subhuman and everything. I loved, um, there was a discussion that really kind of pulled me into the film right away on the boat. I really liked the discussion that was happening on the boat before the crash happened. And it was about how, um, the crash was hilarious, by the way, it was really fun to see how they did that. But, um, the, it was about the inconsistency of civilization and, you know, the idea of the beast, of the jungle killing just for existence is called savage but the man killing for sport is civilized. And they were having that discussion, which was real unique leading into a situation where um, the main character here, um, you know, kind of found himself uh, in that savage world being hunted. It was, re- it was a really, really unique to start, you know, digging into those ideas that, that we found in this film and were in subsequent adaptations as well. And what are your, what were your feelings on that? Um, how it was, First uh, adapted in uh, this RKO picture in '32. I I thought it was done very efficiently. Yeah. Um, they they took a lot of the best things. Uh, they had a lot. Of, they had very good. You know, they had a good framework uh, source material to combine and rearrange things. And again, keep in mind the movie is only a little bit more than an hour long. Yeah. And so that that serves a short story well. Anyway, and like the book, a ch- about half of it is the lead up. To sure, the actual, exactly. um, to the hunt. The hunt's very short in the short story. Mm-hmm. Um, only a few sentences, honestly. Oh wow! Um, whereas in the yeah, it's it's all about the lead up and the, and the suspense of of now, um, of now Rainsford's going to be hunted and then him turning the tables, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, the, something that I thought was done well. You mentioned the 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 opening uh, ship crash. Something that it is in the book is. Um, Zaroff's gaming the system of, of setting up false lights so that ships mm-hmm. um, crash. Um, in the book, it's a little bit more, he leaves it either to chance or when he gets especially bored, he turns on the lights. Okay. Um, I like that idea in, of him plotting the whole thing out, actually forcing the crashes. That was, that was, you know, it takes it to a new level, what he was doing. Yeah, it makes it. It makes it's. It makes more. Um, makes more cinematic sense. Whereas in the in the short Agreed. story, Rainsford goes over the side chasing after a dropped pipe. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's not okay. as okay. Not not as uh, as explosive an opening that, as you need for a film. Yep. Um, and then of course there's no there's no love interest um, in, as in there is in the film. Story, yeah. But that 
but I think it serves it well again for the suspense of when he's actually on the hunt, having to, having to have the the uh, Eve Trowbridge, the the woman who's a fellow shipwreck mm-hmm. person. Um, I have to take around. Um, the film actually benefits really or the really well from the the fact that it was kind of made at the same time as King Kong by the same the same team, yeah. pretty much at night essentially uh-huh. using the same sets. Um, if anyone's seen King Kong, you'll you, um, during the hunt sequence you'll recognize the fallen tree over a gorge yep. uh, thing. It's it's the same um, thing that they reuse in this one as well. Um, it's very good atmosphere. Probably of all the films we talked talk about tonight, it served the best from from its setting and atmosphere that it that it creates. It's it's a very much um, the universal monster movie era of the '30s. This it, it evokes the same kind of nighttime creeping fog and danger uh, dread, and it it is filmed as a, as essentially as a horror film yeah. of that era. Yeah. And I, I definitely consider it that. Um, and again, it was the directing team, uh, Ernest, uh, Ernest Schotzak, um, who was also involved, um, he and the, the producer of this, Marion Cooper, same team from uh, uh, King Kong. Uh, also, these uh, co-stars, Faye Ray, mm-hmm. the dance on the stress, plays Eve Trowbridge, and um, her brother, Robert Armstrong, is also in King yeah. Kong. Um, but I think the guy that, that really... Uh, kind of steals the film because you is is leslie banks as Zaroff, yes. and he's um kind of a classical english actor um who evokes the who's basically um evokes the same the same vibe as from from the short story mm-hmm. um he's he he see he seeks to kind of ape the the uh the country english country squire look of of, of you know more than the russian the English, mm-hmm. and which is almost a little bit kind of uh, subtly off-putting for a guy like uh, Rainsford, because it's the same background. It's not the it's not the foreign, you know, the 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 stranger. It's something that's that's you know kind of a twisted version of, of his own his own upbringing. Yeah. Um, except in this case, uh, you know, Zaroff takes to wearing black um, as just as much as he does tweeds or 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 you know. Um, London, London tailored suits, and he has his servants as well, mm-hmm. um, who's you know the the hulking, the hulking um, Ivan. Uh, kind of fellow killer mm-hmm. Ivan, yep. um, and as well as a couple of others who who really uh, who you know kind of keep this death castle uh-huh. going in, in this in this strange island. So it's it's good it's great it's it's um aged very well it has um, it really has in since 1932 Mm -hmm. it's um i'm glad you pointed out and and kind of framed it in the way it is uh, as a horror film and it really is and and i could see uh because i mean the whole tale it's it's very twisted and i mean there was uh i found it very intense that he uh yeah, it was, it's sick, really, that he had um, to hunt it. He would have them spend time with his trophy rooms and so that he pretty much so they knew how serious he was, and that really enhanced the hunt. Um, so it is, it's, it's, it's a terrifying tale, and, um, but it's also, it, it, it does kind of get to the heart of some savage things about human nature, and so it just it's not surprising to me on a level of uh, depth about human nature that, you know, people would want to, um, you know, continuously 
uh, a, you know, remake this film, but also it's 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 got a great action element to it, and and all the remakes that we're going to discuss, especially moving forward. I mean, it is the action. You, you know, you mentioned how all the hunt is just kind of like it sounds almost like a throwaway in the story, but and it's it's a minimal part of this 1932 film. But as we move forward into the other films we're going to talk about, the action's kind of the 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 crux of everything. That's really really the point almost it's that's where a lot of the fun is so um yeah and also the brutality of the action sure. keep in mind this was night this was 1932 on the cusp of the production co- yep. coming in and so things like you mentioned the trophy room the idea that you have um a, a preserved human head on display uh and then another one that's in a preserved jar just bobbing around mm-hmm. those were things that even a couple of years later you wouldn't have seen in a film those would have been cut but they heighten they heighten the dread. Also, the brutality of the actual hunt itself, and the the um, the fights, the um, you know the the actual uh, death of of um, Zaroff by arrow to the back. Um, it's not cut away or you know just off screen. It's portrayed on screen, yeah. and these that I think that's again it's a key to its longevity. You had a quality um, filmmaking team behind it, and you also had um, a little bit more lax editorial freedom to be able to portray stuff. And one last thing, too, that, that's um, very important here mm-hmm. is the idea of the public domain. Um, this, oh, yeah. The just... film went, yeah, the film entered public domain in the early 60s, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, it, you could production companies um, by the time that home video or any any other, uh, even before that, um, theaters that wanted to play it, didn't need to pay a price to um, show it. And that um, undoubtedly um, influenced the young, younger future filmmakers or screenwriters yeah. that saw it during that time. It was not hard to find, and it was quality enough that it stuck with you. And I, I think the the fact that the ideas that are inherent in in the short story and this the first the first kind of go around at it, um, I think part of its longevity and and the spread of those within within the diaspora of future films is because of the easy availability of it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. The, um, yeah, before we move on, I just, the closing shot is really, really wonderful as, uh, he's falling off. Um, count Zeroff is falling out of the window and like the boat speeding away in the back. It's really wonderfully done. And, and you're right. It's it's wonderfully made film. It really is. Um, yeah. and it's, and it should be noted that, that like it's, it's hinted that basically after he falls that his dogs are going to eat him. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's why they go from him and then they show the dogs waiting for him to fall Mm -hmm. below them. Like even something like that, you wouldn't have found a couple of years. Twisted, really twisted the hounds of their, um, so I know me and you are both really excited to talk about, um, surviving the game in 1994, which is, um, you know, an adaptation of this as well, but there's, there was adaptations in between the 32 one and 1994. Is that correct? Yeah, there were several. Um, okay. Um, very, like some more well known than others. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting thing that that you know some were straight up uh, remakes. There's something called a Game of Death, which was directed by famous director Robert Wise, um, which basically twisted things. Uh, instead of being a former um, Cossack, now uh, Zaroff is a former Nazi named Eric Krieger. Um, there, there's future adaptations after that in the 50s and the 60s. Um, some, 
some more serious and well-financed than others that slightly change uh, for a, a Western audience, uh, those things. Um, some are just straight up ridiculous. There's one called Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, um, which takes place on an alien world uh, with uh, scantily clad women being hunted. Wow. Uh, yeah, exactly. So it's then there's another one for anyone who's a who's a fan of uh, Red Letter Media. They do um, they watch bad bad films and um, they have something called Wheel of the Worst or Best of the Worst. And one of the, the one of their more watched. Um, episodes they screened a film called Deadly Prey mm-hmm. from the 80s which is basically mm-hmm. uh, a soldier uh, or a mercenary a guy uh, in uh, nearby woods to a suburban area who uh, kidnaps uh, a unfortunately for him a, a former Rambo like soldier and uh, makes him the uh, guy who's going to be hunted in this this game version of his um, it's it's a one of those good bad movies from the eighties mm-hmm. that only the eighties yeah, could have <laughs> produced. Enthralling. I kind of want to check oh, it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Deadly Prey. And then years and years later, there was a direct to video um, uh, sequel called Deadliest Prey, which was mm-hmm. a little bit too self aware um, to be as good as it should have been. Um, it was basically <laughs> made because so many people were into the good bad version of Deadly Prey. Um, oh, okay, but. Before we get to surviving the game, there's another movie that that kind of looms over it very much so, um, called Hard Target. It's John Woo's first film. Yes, it was made it, in '93, yeah. a year before surviving the game uh, hit theaters. Yep. Um, it takes place in New Orleans, where um, basically homeless ex-soldiers are are hunted within the city, um, but stars Jean Claude Van Damme, and mm-hmm. he's basically it's basically an action vehicle for him. Um, and where his role was originally the uh, kind of the bodyguard of the daughter searching for her uh, veteran ex her ex veteran father, who's the uh-huh. first victim of the film, and then of course things get to the point where they now they're hunting Van Damme because and it becomes you know a, an excuse for him to just kick everybody's ass. Um, even to this day, I mean it's '93. It's it, I mean, it's John Woo has never been uh, accused of going not enough in terms of the action sequences, um, and this was really his this was his, his calling card uh, from mm-hmm. the Hong Kong cinema of Hard Boiled and yep. um, and all the others to being able to uh, break through in this market, and it's it's notable as a film because it's kind of all the things that surviving the game was criticized I think by um, a year later for. This one, specifically not being exciting or action-oriented enough, the fact that it wasn't... It's, it's a tough genre in the that 90s. Was the, that was the criticism of surviving the game at the time? Yeah, I think that, that it, was, okay. it, was, it was... For some place, for a film that was marketed essentially as an action film, there wasn't yeah. enough action and the people found boring. Even though, wow. if you look at the beats of the film, it's pretty much a mirror image of the 1932 film, just in sure. a different setting. Hard yep. Target went over the top and really uh, the the most dangerous game aspect is kind of a background element for a kind of a stock action, 90s action vehicle mm-hmm. for Jean-Claude Van Damme even though it's a very good one it's it's one that yep. um, is really kind of compulsively watchable. The, the villain is Lance Heinrichsen <laughs> who carries around a gun that can only shoot one bullet because he <laughs> thinks he's that good of a shot 
Um, it's amazing. It's actually, it's I, a, I, I recommend That's it. That's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know what I, re- I recommend though is is, is uh, rewatching Surviving the Game, um, and that's the the '94 remake starring Ice T, Gary Busey, and Rutger Hauer of uh, Blade Runner film. Um, I was blown away, and yeah, I obviously watched it back in the '90s. I loved uh, you know action films so much, and but you know I thought when I was going back to revisit it, and uh, you were speaking highly of it, so I was kind of like, wow, what's you know? I was intrigued more. I was blown away how it's not a guilty pleasure. It's a super well-made film. It's deep. It's uh, the setup's differently different in in that um, you know a group of uh, rich hunters find um, a very capable homeless man at this time and kind of pay him, offer him money to come to a cabin to be um, you know kind of a hunting guide for them, and then you know they flip the script on him, but. This is a really well-made film. The director's uh, incredible, Ernest R. Dickerson. He's worked with Spike Lee so much, but it's it's. I was taken. I was really floored about how good of a film this was. Yeah, it's definitely elevated by Dickerson from a script that he basically. I get the impression he was presented with scripts that he could choose from, and that this is one of those that was floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he was coming off of his first film, Juice. Uh, yep. With Tupac Shakur, uh-huh. it's, it's a hell of a hell of a debut, especially after being cinematographer for Spike Lee. Um, I mean, yeah, he did the right thing. Of Malcolm X. I mean, he was a cinematographer on some 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 really really outstanding films. Yeah, and yeah. I think that it really the the elements, especially when it comes to the racial dynamics that are coming into play, are stuff that's not necessarily on the page, mm-hmm. but it's it's very much about the the visuals, and he's. Uh, Dickerson's sensibility on that, I think, is again, it's it's very efficient and but but very punchy um, in terms of the messaging that he wants to get across. Um, he, and again, the stuff that that I think at the time that um, the uh, film reviewers were were maybe criticizing was the the lead up or the backstory for for Ice T as the as the runner, essentially the the hunted was stuff that's really necessary. It's the yes. idea of getting Agreed. getting stakes to why, you know, why we should care about this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the the twisted nature of, of, of a couple of the relationships. Yeah. yeah. Specifically the Charles S. Dutton character, who again, this is I think his first villain. Um, this was a guy if anyone knows Dutton's um, life story, you know, went was in prison, took up acting there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was, I believe just finished with or still in the midst of being uh, having his own um, series on Fox Rock, Rock yeah. uh, but before that he had been you know in uh, Alien 3 mm-hmm. um, I think this was this maybe the same year he was he was in um, Rudy Rudy yeah uh, you know these just beloved but, characters in all these other films that's why it's, it's he's the one who kind of um he he, you know, approaches Ice T's character Mason, and it's pretty intense that he's the one that kind of tricked him in this way. Yeah, and he's the one with the gun in his face when things yep. change, and that's mm-hmm. the idea. Again, again, there is there is definitely uh, very much more so than kind of the all white cast of the thirty two version uh, racial politics at play. Sure, here. yeah, and What's... I think that's even even down to the hunters versus who who they are hunting. Yeah, so you were mentioning that criticism, which I just think is in just it's you know deal with hindsight now i think it's absolutely ridiculous because the setup is what brings home the hunt so much and and the part of surviving the game that really gets me that i like more than any other um you know moment that that happens afterwards is the the night before the hunt 
and you get this great, amazing Gary Busey scene where he's talking about his birthmark, and you really, it's getting to know the characters and the, you know, depravity of or the, the, the kind of the motives of these people who are going to be hunting another human is entirely, uh, it, it's mandatory to really understanding, getting your head around this entire uh, story here. And it just, that, that setup to me blew me away. Yeah, the fact that she, that uh, Busey plays essentially a CIA psychiatrist who came up with this concept mm-hmm. and and recruited his his fellows um, to this again, it's in the long line of who's going to be the this this kind of background malevolent group that is running this. So you go from Cossacks to Nazis to the yep. CIA, mm-hmm. which again is you know has its own implications there, and yeah. and also yeah, it's. If you've ever seen Busey um, on late night television, he has a habit of, of telling stories as in, in lieu of interviews. Have you ever seen him on Letterman? <laughs> of course, like that, yep. Yep. But, And he's done that a little bit in other films and stuff, but this is his best harness. This is the one where, where it makes the most sense. And uh, the, um, the tale of him and his, his dog and how he came to, um, you know, to have the view on life that he does, mm-hmm. in a dark way, is a good mirror for Zaroff. Um, the, yeah. the boy who's given a, a gun to kill small animals. This one is even more intense, basically um, uh, him killing his own dog with his bare hands. Yeah. And that, that kind of thing, too. I think, again, it adds, it adds to the malevolence of the character and also no doubt. Everything, everything behind it. There's one other thing, too, with regard to the CIA stuff, which, again, you know, re-watching this film again made me think of um, No Country for Old Men, mm. where you have basically the fallout of what happens when special forces, CIA, all these other controlled killers are the war's over and they have they're coming back home. Not all of them are going to behave themselves. Mm-hmm. There's there's this this um again, you know, malevolence and, and evil that's kind of released into society. Yep. And I think that's that's this mirrors that as well, where these um these guys are how are they gonna get their urge to kill and to murder out and and make money at the same time you know on the american side of it yeah such a such a crucial point what you spoke on it a little bit earlier just this idea of um of looking at different people as subhuman and thus thus hunting so it was fascinating how ice tea once the hunt began uh great great work by ice tea too I, i don't think he gets enough credit sometimes for for you know his acting but um during the hunt he was frustrating them so much by you know, when he was outwitting them, they, it actually just kind of, it, it, you know, flustered them so much. And I think it was because of their viewpoint on how he was or how, you know, they were just shocked that he could outwit them because of how superior uh, they thought they were. It was driving them nuts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the most, most pointedly with guys like John C. McGinley, who's an oil man whose daughter has been killed by, it's implied kind of a, a black drifter. Yes. Um, that he's, and that's, he pointedly sits at the table and stares at him and basically amps himself up to think of Ice-T as that same guy who did this to his daughter. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you have F. Murray Abraham and his, who's a Wall Street guy, uh, kind of wolf of Wall Street and his son trying to, uh, he's the one who most explicitly says that guys, uh, guys like this are, are nothing. This guy Mason, he's 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 less than nothing, mm-hmm. and that's that's the Walsh, that his his view that he wants to pass on to his son to think of 
people so little that, that we'll think of, we'll hunt them like, like animals yeah. and that will make you more of a man. And yeah. that sort of thing is, is definitely, um, needed. You know, it's mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, again, I'll go back again and say like things like this are mentioned in films like hard target, but they don't carry the same weight as they do here. Yeah. And I think that's the, 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 the more conversational, um, approach to the, um, film with, with explosions of action rather than, action with it with you know bursts of conversation yep that's that's the difference there and i think they these these characters get a chance they all kind of reflect parts of upper society um talking themselves into uh why they look down and, and can can um treat uh the homeless or or people of of darker complexions as less yep. than them yeah, it speaks to society as a whole in a major yeah. way, which is which is fascinating. Um, of note, Christian, um, we talked about uh, Defy Bloods uh, recently. This is the second time in a row we examined a film where a character has um, had his legs completely ripped off. <laughs> right. Yeah, and again, ironically, it's 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 Dutton um, it's, yep. who's yeah, who's who can't believe that it's that a um, a booby trap has been set by some by some someone that that the that he doesn't respect, on. yeah, yeah, and that that that's it, and that his you know his associate Rucker Howard basically has to put him down as one yeah. would, you know, an animal like a dog, and, yeah, and that's that's true. It's and again, like the Five Bloods, I think it's something where the themes of of race and class mm. and and war and killing um, are elevated by whatever was originally on the script page. Yeah. by the filmmaker. And I think yep. Dickerson um, deserves a lot of credit for that. I think it, I it's, could not it's aged, more. aged very well yep. because of those yep. things. Um, at the end of the film, um, Burns, that's uh, Rucker, Howard's character, he's so great. Um, is it, it, do you think it's implicit, or am I reading it? He looks like the original Count Zeroff at the end, his, um, kind of his disguise. It's, it's really, it's, it feels to me like a hat tip in some way. I think so. I think yeah, so. You know, he's got good. the pointy beard, his yeah. hair's pulled back, um, uh-huh. and also the idea that of all, all the um, disguises he could pick, it would be a priest. But again, yeah. the black, the the all in black, um, the kind of of, of um, yeah, intimidating, intimidating, intimidating nighttime shadowy character. Mm. I think absolutely, um, it's yeah. it's a good way of of uh, calling back. Yep, absolutely. So. There was a um, the the let's let's move right towards the most recent adaptation because there's a lot to discuss here and this is the one on uh, Quibi um, and uh, the, the most dangerous game it's called and it's as I stated it's um, stars Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz I'm such a Christoph Waltz fan when I saw that he was a part of it I was really uh, excited about that so but but I, I we can't dig into this without talking about Quibi it's obviously the um, the uh, new streaming service, which is based on, um, it's designed to deliver short form scripted and unscripted content to your cell phone. Um, and it's, you know, by Jeffrey um, Kratzenberg and uh, Meg Whitman. And um, I got to tell you, when I first heard about the idea of Quibi, uh, it, it was off-putting to me. The Anytime I've seen people watching uh, films on their uh, iPhone or 
um, you know, I just I feel like it does such a disservice to film, and I hate to see, you know, movies treat it like that. Um, but you know, I I watching this series, and I really recommend it, and um, we'll talk about why. But watching this series, it's I was kind of coming around a little bit. They do a great job, um, you know, with the with the you know the framing and everything. What did what did you what do you think of Quibi as a as a platform? It didn't surprise me that this was that this has been the breakout hit of yeah. of all the, of their offerings. Um, something the the most dangerous game, something like fifteen parts, eight minutes uh, each, and the way they they did it, leaving on a. Um, they knew that it, it seems when when you can tell that they knew that that it was going to be presented in bite size. It wasn't a film that got chopped up. Oh yeah, um, and it was done in a classic serialized throwback serialized format mm-hmm. where it ends on a cliffhanger each of, each of the times. And I thought it's where the concept. And I've watched a couple of things subsequent to watching this first, where the concept is best realized in um, kind of a compulsively watchable. Um, action format. Yeah, the, uh, there's a lot of different stuff that's on that's on the the um, format that's that's on the um, service. Um, yep. The one, the first one I watched after is is called uh, Die Hard with uh, Kevin, Kevin Hart, Hart who's yeah. uh, which is a ten parter and Travolta. Uh, and Travolta, where basically um, Kevin Hart's playing a version of himself that's sick of being a sidekick to the Rock mm-hmm. all the time. So he <laughs> he's going to become a more believable leading man in the action genre, but. He gets tipped off that the that the way that there's this um, kind of crash course camp run by this guy um, that other action stars have used to, you know, to get to become have a have a better, more action pre- um, manly presence at when they've gone through it. So he says, oh, I'll do that. And then it's run by John Travolta and it's very twisted and and, and, fun. and intense and stuff like that. And it's it is fun. It's it's yeah. it's pretty well done. Again, it's it's one of those are two of the better things. It's not surprising that those are the ones that the people have heard more about than some yeah. of the, you, maybe the game shows mm-hmm. or the the other lesser um, less uh, budgeted fare that's offered it's, there. It's um, really it's, interesting watching what is happening with Quibi though, because I mean, all sorts of studios invested a lot of money initially, whether it's Walt Disney, Sony, Viacom, NBC, BBC, um, and. It hasn't it hasn't taken off in a way that they hoped for, and 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 especially during this time. I was just going to say the the the. I mean, but I think um, they were hoping, and the idea was, and 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 you know, the COVID nineteen does not help in this way. Is it? It was it was made to kind of fit into your routine. You know, maybe uh, commuting, or you know, I I you know when I first saw it, I'm like, this can easily work for people on the subway. It just it really, you know, you get these nine minute bite sized things and and move on and. Um, so that that definitely didn't help, um, but it, but I'm curious to see how it goes moving forward. They, there are some cool things about it. I mean, each show or ad is filmed and edited in both um, portrait and landscape. So there's this turnstile uh, feature they have where it's it's you know they it's you can kind of get two views just by turning your phone, which is really really interesting. But it definitely and you you touched on it. It, it definitely um, seems to work. Um, really well with the these action uh um things i I know that the fugitive is up there and i think i'm gonna watch that because it just this it was it was a lot of fun watching this most dangerous game and just you know a lot of you know after eight minutes you get the cliffhanger each time and it just it just it kind of propels there's a lot of momentum with these nine things but so 
let's dig into it. Most dangerous game is uh, this remake. Is it's it's fun to see how they can you know create a new take on it. And in this this case, it was a down in his luck um, cancer patient named Dodge who was in need of uh, finding money for his family after after he was going to be gone. Um, and he was offered an opportunity um, that that you know after hearing Christoph Waltz. Uh, pitch it's hard to um not not see why someone would jump at it it's an absurd amount of money and and the thing but but it's it's nice to see these different um you know ways they they bring um kind of story to life yeah and i'm the more i've had time to think about it after watching it the more i like the casting of liam hensworth it's mm. a real in this this story format it's it's a very delicate thing to cast the rainsford character um yeah. you have to have someone that's that there's a possibility that, that that they can be caught and that they you know they can't be unstoppable. Um, so hence you can't have a John Claude Van Damme and Hard Target thing and, yep. and maintain any kind of suspense. Um, that that there has that's to why be the, vulnerability, absolutely. And I think that's why. It, again, just one brief thing going back to surviving the game. Oh, please. There's a great there's a great sequence where Ice T is trying to convince um, Rucker Howard that he should be without knowing what, what it entails, this job, that he should be um, taken along uh, for what will ultimately be this hunt. Um, and Rucker Howard says, uh, asks him if he smokes. And mm-hmm. Ice-T says, as many cigarettes as I can get, he's like, you're out. Won't yep, work. Yep. You'll, you'll run out of breath. Yep. And so Ice-T makes him uh, test him by putting him on a treadmill to see yep. how long he can go. And I thought that was, again, it was something that in the back of the viewer's mind, it's like, aha, there's time this guy could just run out of breath because yeah. there's going to be a lot of, sh- of shots of this guy just nonstop running. And mm-hmm. I got that when I was watching most ga- the, the Quibi version the Quibi of it too. One, yeah. um, smartly, they make Liam Hemsworth a former track guy yep. um, who's been struck. Gotta have endurance. He has endurance. Um, his illness that he's found out about is, recent, is relatively recent, so it hasn't mm-hmm. um, taken, taken, a, yeah. taken a toll yet. Those kind of things. And also, they got the right Hemsworth for this. Even though <laughs> having his brother probably would have made this even more watched, mm-hmm. uh, there's no way you can watch Thor from the MCU and think, oh, well, of course yeah. he's going to get killed. You yeah, know absolutely. what I'm saying? <laughs> it, it uh, work. He, needs, he, he needs a level of vulnerability. And it's the more he was um, injured or, or struggling, the, the, I think the more it was uh, captivating. Um, you know what I was thinking about? I know it's a remake of um, you know Most Dangerous Game, obviously, but something kept coming to mind um, to me, and that is the Running Man. And, and I'm not talking about the Running Man film with Arnold, uh, the Bachman book. And, mm, and, I never and, read and, it. It's really great. It's, it's something I always recommend it to people because it's amazing that that it was adapted in the way it was because it's so much more subtle uh, of a of a hunt that goes on. And what in the book he needs to keep checking in. He's he's got a video camera with him. And after a certain amount of time, he needs to make a video of himself in his environment and then share that video. And that's that that format really was a lot like what um Dodge had to do where he had to check in at certain points, which kind of, you know, led people to him and, and you know that just it just came to mind a whole bunch. I do. I, I recommend. Um, it's a quick read. Uh, uh, it's part of the Bachman book series. But there was it, it really that one thing I really loved about this adaptation, and it it, it didn't last long. This facet, but um, not knowing who the hunters were at first was really cool because it was it could have been anyone, and it just it made the world seem a really scary place at first. 
Yeah, in the world that, that he inhabits, he's told by Christoph Waltz, who's the um, organizer of this service, um, that, you know, you're best served as a runner to be in places with lots of people. Mm-hmm. And however, the twist on that is the more people around you, especially in that early stage, the less likely it is to be able to pick out who it is coming at you. Yep. Um, something else about the world is this makes very good use of the city of Detroit. And something you something you mentioned about the Bachman novel um, that that is replayed here mm-hmm. is the fact that he every hour on the hour the hunters because of this phone that that uh, Hemsworth has to keep on him during his run uh, that uh, he's he he's basically broadcasts his exact location yep. and the fact that he cannot leave the city limits um, of Detroit. Uh, come, there's a lot of numerous close calls yeah. uh, by land and sea yep, of, of him co- almost having to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was it was a great use. You know, so many films um, use tax credits to film in in cities that are where they double, say, for New York or Los Angeles yep. or yep. or other places. This one, the idea that they're going to lean into that and be because a lot of places use Detroit because it is it is very um, good for productions and cheap. Uh, yeah. The idea that it's like that it uses the city very well in Pittsburgh, yep. yeah, yep. Is, is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, another Van Damme movie, by the way, uh, that, that uses Pittsburgh. Uh, was it? It's the one with uh, where it takes place during the hockey game. I think it was the one he did after Hard oh, Target, yeah, yeah. Um, where he fights the Pittsburgh Penguin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And, then, and it ends with a with a helicopter crashing down uh, uh-huh. in, into the ice and stuff like that. <laughs> um, that sort of stuff, I think, is it was really really serves the film. And again, yep. um, a, an aspect of the plot that comes into play is that Hemsworth is underwater in debt because of a of a would be high rise uh, in Detroit that he owns, where yeah. the story essentially begins and ends. And mm-hmm. the the ending of the film, I thought, again, um, was really. Surprisingly, I thought, well done. Um, some might think it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I thought it was actually really well done and set up considering the, the world that they, uh, that they set up yeah. um, in terms of the, his confrontation with the last hunter standing. Yep. Well, as much as I enjoyed not knowing who the hunters were uh, initially, it's one of the most fun things about it was getting to know the hunters. And it was, it was a fun um, cast of characters. And... Uh, I love how they were all named after different presidents. Um, you know, he, he had Kennedy uh, and Carter. That. <laughs> yeah, yep. That's um, and it was just it's it's such because it is so intriguing. Who would be compelled to to do this? To to and 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 we've already talked about all the different reasons that certain people were, but this one is is it seems it's just it's just pure. Um, you know, it's a, it's more of a contest in this one, which is a, a really different way to look at it, which is fun. Well, and, and also crucially, it's no the the hunters are no longer um, just men for one. Yes, um, and yeah, the waitress the the reveal with the waitress is one of my favorite parts of the whole series. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really well, and and also across his uh, racial and um, international mm-hmm. um, lines for for the types yeah. of people that are going after um, that that use the service too, and I think that's something that's uh, really. Um, you talk, you know, you think about like the idea of uh, the reasons for making adaptations of, of a story like this. A lot of them are repetitive of most dangerous game. Um, yeah. either the, the way they use the ideas or the ones that think, okay, I'm going to make, you know, 
you know, a, a low budget version of this as say a film calling card or something like that. Mm-hmm. There are they're just a ton. The, the ones we discussed before, there's like there's like maybe a do- a dozen high quality, quote unquote high quality, well known ones. There's numerous more that are less known that that have been used because again it's in in the public domain. And then so many other films that have tried to get around the copyright mm-hmm. um, by using many ideas in all but name. Um, and again, the story, the, the Connell's story itself, only reached public domain this year, 2020, yeah, because it's seven, 70 years after Connell's death mm-hmm. in 1949. Yep. So he, despite the film being in public domain since the 60s, um, the actual uh, source material is just coming now. And that's no small thing for a filmmaker. There's all kinds of, of uh, considerations for money-wise, for, uh, even for something like Quibi with, with the bankroll that it has. Um, in terms of adapting things and and wanting to um, you know managing budgets to get the kind of talent on board for their salaries that it oh, takes, yeah. and yeah. I think that's something that's uh, it's interesting. Just going back to Quibi for for a second, the idea that of who's putting it out, it makes sense that it's the financing even before the pandemic set in. It makes it makes sense that it's the high end financing. Uh, that it's getting for something like this because there's so many variables financially in terms of productions mm-hmm. and over overruns and yeah. what happens what happens if it's not a hit right away like this um, how do you survive it survive mm-hmm. the lean times until it catches on yeah. and that's something that's that, that goes into to all these these things um, which just again to circle it back uh, to wrap is is makes it interesting of the decisions they made for the properties that were going to um, that they were going to put out there as their big budget ones. So, as you said, most dangerous game, um, and then as you, it's interesting that the fugitive is another one. Yep. Um, again, the idea of the remake, but, it's, but again, that's how about you know. Again, not just as the fugitive, but Kiefer Sutherland, who made basically his late career renaissance off oh, of a chase show, yep, essentially exactly. with, with the many incarnations of Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. Should be noted also Liam Hemsworth coming over from the Hunger Games. Um, this material, mm. uh, again, material that has been I, I felt was like inspired to some some degree uh by by a most game dangerous game type situation sure. obviously elevated you know a different futuristic setting the stakes and the reasons for it and the idea of you know kids and other stuff mm-hmm. um no there's the so, vibe the vibe's the same absolutely so the, the basically what i'm getting at is that it's interesting the recognizability of people that have been in similar stuff that you might have liked before yeah. Well, they're in something else right now that, that that's their own new kind of thing mm-hmm. that's also recognizable. Get into this, so it's interesting yep. again with uh, with with uh, that aspect of yeah. Of well, it looks like um, they at the end looks like they're uh, planning on another season. They um, showed the, another subject of uh, the next hunt. Well, I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out. And and what's clear to me is that. Um, this source material and this idea is so fascinating and there's so many different ways to play with it. It's clear that there's going to be adaptations and, and, you know, people inspired by this story for years and years to come. This is, this is, it's, we've talked about many adaptations here, but I think, uh, I think we're kind of just getting started in a lot of ways. Yeah. And in fact, this very month, as we're recording this later this month, there's going to be yet another adaptation from, Cam- <laughs> from Cambodia. Oh, wow. It's going to be coming out called The Prey. Yep. Um, and it's by uh, a 
director named Jimmy Henderson, who's been making films in Cambodia for the last decade or so, um, that are very extreme. For anyone that's seen Jailbreak from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, that's they'll know they'll know this guy's style. The Prey was his follow up to that that came out a couple um, came out actually in 2018, but it's getting its American. Uh, release um later this month of august awesome. and in this case it's a the it serves it revolves around a chinese cop who is uh, during a raid gone wrong ends up in a cambodian prison mm-hmm. guy runs the cambodian prison um has clientele that he ser- that he uh provides fodder for hunts from his own prison stock for mm-hmm. through, through these jungles and so this cop has to survive that hunt um, in, a, in an extreme way. And it's uh, for anyone that's seen the trailer, it's it looks really, um, really interesting. And again, even though it's a Cambodian Cambodian production, you see the echoes of you know the big game hunter, the classic poses, uh-huh. the big guns, um, the idea that the that these are you have the enig- the enigmatic, malevolent uh, person at the center who's setting this thing up and providing this service, so to speak, for people that are bored or rich that have, that need a new pastime that, uh, that um, is so that sick on some, the bit by hunting others. So it's, again, that's, it's already in the works. There's yep. already another, I mean, another look version at that. on the there's, way. There's, there's, there's two just this, just this year, which is wild. So, yeah. So hopefully, um, uh, you know, we gave you a couple films here to, uh, to look into. And I know you just gave me another one that I'm curious about. And, um, surviving the game is something I'd really want to press again. That's, that's so worth your time to revisit. Um, and also just the original one was a lot of fun to watch. So it's been fun, uh, exploring these films and rewatching them and, and talking about it with you today, Christian. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. I enjoyed it too. Absolutely. And, um, thank you everyone out there for once again, joining the party. Leave it better than you found it It's gonna get difficult to stand But hold your balance I just say whatever Cause there is no way you're round it Cause everyone falls down sometimes But you just gotta know It'll all be fine It's okay This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.